When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. And I hope you've made the decision to sign up for our free newsletters at clark.com slash newsletter. We work hard to deliver content and information that you can put to work in your life to become more physically fit. So that doesn't stink, but I do a lot of times. I'll hear about it in our weekly Clark Stink segment that is straight ahead. And later, if you haven't traveled in a while, I've got some info you need before you get on that plane. Things have changed. And it is time now for our Clark Stinks. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. And without further ado, here's Krista with how I'm stinking it up right (laughs) now. Here's another option to enjoy the benefits of yoga without paying big bucks. There are great apps out there like Down Dog Yoga that you do pay for, but a year's worth of yoga is less than a month at a studio or dynamic, customizable practices. Namaste. And thanks for the information about iBonds. My husband and I are buying ours today. Mary. Awesome, Mary. I hope we don't have a Clark Sinks from you next week about how difficult it was to navigate (laughs) buying the Series I savings bonds. On the yoga, um, people are going back in person in big numbers. People have missed being with people. And there's a camaraderie and like an encouragement you get going to a group yoga class that I don't feel like you get from one of the apps. Right. But remember, the person was shocked that you would pay for yoga because it's so right. expensive. Right, right, right. But, uh, you know, when I use Down Dog, I did use during COVID, I was using Down Dog. I found that I got to where my form was not really right on a lot of the things I was doing. And I had to get one of those mirrors from Walmart that I could put and see how I was doing and be like, oh no. Oh, an actual mirror. Because you know, there's a a very expensive device called the mirror. No, no. This was like a $10 mirror from Walmart, (laughs) the kind you put on the back of a closet door. And so I had that and I could see, oh, I don't look like the app at all doing that position. So I benefit from being scolded by a yoga instructor that no, no, you know, do this, do that, whatever. Okay, this was written before Hurricane Ian, so I just want to say that. As an insurance professional, your segment on the rising cost of homeowners insurance, particularly in coastal states, missed the mark. In fact, your message only worsens the situation by spreading inaccurate information. The primary drivers of rising premiums in states susceptible to natural disaster are not actually tied to extreme weather, as you suggest. It is a result of three main factors, legal system abuse, 
which is lawsuit, inflation, third-party litigation, funding, and nuclear verdicts, etc., fraud and abuse, false and exaggerated claims, bid rigging by contractors, repair scams, and out-of-state opportunities, and government interference, interference with the marketplace that allows insurers to accurately price risk. Take Florida, for example, where there has not been a hurricane that has caused major damage since 2018, yet where property insurance is in complete, a complete meltdown. The state accounts for roughly 7% of the nation's homeowners' claims, but is facing 76% of the nation's homeowners' insurance lawsuits due to lawsuit abuse. Louisiana and California are other examples of states where the marketplace is not functioning properly due to abuse, fraud, and government interference. In these instances, insurance may have no other choice but to exit a market completely. And that's from Evan. Evan, thank you. And what you said about Florida, the lawsuit thing, is completely true. It's crazy with all the lawsuits involving homes and also with auto in Florida. It's part of the culture in Florida, and it drives up the cost for everybody of insurance. As we've just seen, though, with the tragic hurricane, the cost of those claims is going to be gigantic. And for insurers, so many national insurers abandon Florida because of the inability to properly calculate actuarial risk. So, yes, there's been cost pressures in Florida because of the lawsuits and nuisance claims and all that and the fraud But the fact is, if I'm a homeowner's insurer, how in the world do I calculate risk from a storm, the eye of which, the area of it, was bigger than the whole peninsula of the state of Florida? And that's something that cannot solely be put at the feet of the lawsuits and the fraud. Sometimes your advice is less than complete. On relatives being asked to pay for someone's nursing home bill, you failed to mention two important issues. Are spouses responsible for a bill? And doesn't Medicaid pay once you've exhausted your savings? Doesn't Medicaid pay for most individuals in nursing homes? In the past, you have sometimes defended giving brief answers for fear of confusing your listeners. I think your listeners may be brighter than you think, Dwight. Dwight, thank you. First of all, no family member under the law is responsible for the stay of a loved one in a nursing home, a licensed nursing home. Assisted living, which so many people stay in and may refer to as nursing homes, it's a different issue. But for nursing homes, there is no responsibility of any family member for an unpaid bill. On the issue of Medicaid, there are a lot of nursing homes that will not accept Medicaid patients. And so it is true that most nursing home stays end up being paid by Medicaid once a resident ends up being impoverished by the federal definition. And then that stay is paid for by Medicaid at facilities that do accept Medicaid patients. So we've got people who end up in a facility who are private pay And then there are people who end up in a facility where they are Medicaid patients. There are places that say once you're in, they won't boot you out when you reach the eligibility for Medicaid. There are others that want you out. And you may remember those pictures that made big news of someone in a wheelchair who was put out at the street by a nursing home 
when they could no longer pay for their stay. And so it, it's a rough and tumble business. You recently sounded off on car dealers as there being inefficiencies in the market and downright bad for the customer. It's true that today people are paying more than ever for a car, but pre-pandemic, most people were paying less than MSRP thanks to dealers. If dealers are removed from the market, there will be less competition and higher prices. Dealers need to be more transparent and straightforward, but they shouldn't disappear completely, Neil. And we also got a similar one um, from Sean. Okay, Neil and Sean, both of you, I knew uh, I was pretty combative when I was talking about this, and I knew it would trigger a reaction. I'm trying to get people to think, because if dealers believe that they are a positive in the free market, why are they so afraid of competing against a brand that wants to sell direct, like Lucid or Tesla or um, Rivian or someone like that that wants to sell direct? allow the free market to work. It's a restraint on free trade. It's a restraint on a competitive environment to say that those direct sellers cannot exist. If, in fact, dealers are the public's friend, if they are the consumer's friend, then they should not try to restrain alternative methods of sale and delivery of vehicles. Clark not only stinks, but he jumps to the negative. On today's episode, a lady wrote in about how her husband had a $400 receipt from the self-checkout lane at a hardware store because the person before him left the transaction open on the terminal. Clark automatically assumed the negative and said the first person stole the high dollar item because they didn't complete the transaction and they walked out with it. Perhaps the person just scanned the item to check the price, or maybe they scanned and discovered it was too expensive, so they left the store, left it at the store. Clark, the world is really already too negative. Please look at all angles before assuming the worst. Cheryl. Cheryl, you're so right. I was wrong, and I should have thought about other possibilities other than that being a shoplifter, and I'm guilty as charged, and I apologize for that. Recently, Clark and Krista were discussing location privacy settings for iPhone and Android applications. While it's incredibly important to make sure that each app has only the minimum permissions necessary to work, telling listeners to only allow their location settings to be used while using the app and not always can be potentially deadly or hazardous to your health or at least very inconvenient. For example, if you use your exact location at all times to warn you in the event that you are under a tornado warning, hurricane warning, or other such messages of impending doom, you'd want this location data available to the app, whether you have the app open or not. There are also other applications which can use your location to summon emergency services or what have you, in addition to the new crash detection recently introduced by Apple. As for very inconvenient, some home automation apps turn lights on at your home and can even be programmed to adjust your thermostat if the app senses you are returning to your home. You might not be using the app at all until you get home, but the app needs this location data on at all times for full functionality. The best bet is to make certain that you trust the app provider and not some sketchy app where you don't know what will be done with your location data. That is a very valid point that there are certain apps that only really function well if you give them those permissions. I'm having that right now with Life360 that's upset that I'm not giving them always on permission to track me at all times. And so I'm very careful when I give an app the ability to track my location. And the point of this poster is very clear that there are 
apps that only can do what you want them to do if you do provide access to always-on location data. And so this, this push and pull with privacy and functionality is a real issue. Now, I want to talk about uh, DuckDuckGo has a new app that will track for you what apps are uh, taking your information and using it for what may be untoward purposes. And if you use their new app and it's a beta, you have to be invited in. It will give you a report each day who's using your data and how they're using it in ways you might not like. And you can block them from using your data and selling it off if you wish just by having the DuckDuckGo app. And there's going to be more and more of these things like Apple with the thing where you have to give the permissions for an app to track you and use your information, which has upset Facebook so much with Apple, is we have had these apps that have had carte blanche to use our information however they wish, and now there's the counter. How do we get some control back in our lives? Okay, I normally love Clark and quote him constantly, but when I listen to his advice, cash is king, cash is it, you have earned the reward of not having to pay interest at all, Clark says, you can't expect, well, I'm going to earn more on it, so I should borrow money at 1.5%. Uh-oh, pay cash, be done. I know you own that Model Y free and clear, and I paid off my 1.8% car loan. I made a huge mistake. I should have kept my cash. I would be earning more interest in my high-yield savings or on a short-term CD than I would have even more extra cash in case of an emergency. In this case, I wish I hadn't listened to Clark, Rachel. Rachel, thank you. All right, so Rachel, what I was talking about with cash is king is people who are in debt with credit cards, and I want them to get back control in their lives. I want you, if you're paying on high-interest credit cards and owe a balance and people with balances on credit cards um, overwhelmingly expect to be in debt one to three years with that credit card debt, I, that's who I'm talking to. If, if you're someone who has your finances well under control, you're not paying 18% to Visa or MasterCard, that wasn't for you. It's for people who I want to get back control to get that debt out of their lives that is like a cancer when you're paying for your wallet when you're paying huge interest on credit cards. And it was not about the overall universe about how you handle money. I use credit cards every single day, but I'm a net payer. I pay the balance in full. Different situation. I love Clark and always feel like he gives great advice for the best bang for your buck, but he completely missed the mark on political donations. I had a few of these, by the way. I've worked in campaign finance for over 15 years, and dark money groups can and will sell your information. Also, they do not have to answer to anyone and typically have huge administrative costs where little goes to help a candidate. Additionally, campaigns can only use official campaign funds to pay their staff and buy ads, and campaigns can get a significant discount on their ad buys that dark money groups do not get. Any federal campaign can accept anonymous cash donations of $50, and there's no limit to how many of those they can accept. 
any contribution by check or cash does get publicly reported. However, online credit card donations are typically reported at any amount. I've dedicated my life's work to ensuring transparent and open elections and campaigns, and dark money groups are not efficient for candidates or the American people. Christy. Christy, thank you for your post. Uh, Coming up next, carry-on bags. I've noticed when I'm flying, they're getting bigger and bigger to be the size of a small house I'm seeing come on these planes. And the empire's striking back. The airlines are cracking down because of what people are bringing on. We need to talk about that with your holiday travel coming up. What to expect at the airport. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, we need to have a talk here. I know anytime I've mentioned this, it's been really controversial that I never check a bag. I only bring a carry-on, and I only bring a carry-on of the size and shape that is permitted under that airline's rules to take on the flight, period. I take a uh, small backpack that can go under the seat in front of me and my bag to go in the overhead bin. And the airlines have been doing a great job uh, reconfiguring their interiors where now a lot of them can take the bags that go in, what do you call that? Up and down. They go up and down instead of- Vertical. Thank you, Krista. You're welcome. They go vertical instead of horizontal. And so the amount of bags an overhead bin can handle, depending on the configuration an airline installs, have either doubled or gone up by 50% or more. So there's now getting to a point where on a lot of aircraft you go on, everybody's got room as long as they're living by the rules. But I've been noticing this woman came on a flight the other day with a duffel that looked big enough to hold a small person in it. And it was stuffed. And she was having trouble getting down the aisle without hitting people with this duffel. And then she ends up stopping the row in front of me. She's trying to get this thing in the overhead bin. And it was so big, it took up the entire bin She was trying to put things in. And this flight attendant is looking at this, and I could just see frustration on that flight attendant's face because that was extreme, but people bringing on the kitchen sink, not at all extreme. And I keep hearing these announcements now at Gates where they'll say, now, remember, you're limited to one regulation size carry-on 
and one personal item that can fit under the seat in front of you, and you must consolidate. Because if you get up here to board and you've got more than one in one, you're not going on. Now, I have noticed that airlines that have these primo flyers that get to go on first, that they're just kind of waved on even when they're carrying more than what they're told they're allowed to carry. But uh, normal earthlings like you and me, when we get up there, we're not going through if we're carrying too much. And as we get to particularly the Christmas holiday season, when people are bringing all these gifts and all that, you try to bring on all that stuff, you're going to be pretty disappointed because the odds you're going to be turned away by trying to bring all that stuff on pretty high. You know, when the loads were really low on the planes in 20 and part of 21, when people really weren't flying, the airlines were having such a tough time, now people are back and it's called revenge travel. The flights pretty much without exception are packed. I took an early morning flight on a Sunday morning recently, a time that in the past, you wouldn't have had a lot of people on the plane. That plane had 175 seats on it and had more than 175 people once you added in the lap children that were on that plane. And so we've all got to play nice together here because there's only so much room. Another thing, if you're a germaphobe, the era of the planes being ultra sanitized and all those procedures the airlines were doing, they're over. I've noticed when I use the elegant restroom facilities on airplanes lately, that the restrooms are generally pretty disgustingly filthy. They're not being cleaned at all like they were before, and there's more people on the planes. But the area around you and all that, uh, not so sanitary. So you probably need to bring on, you know, one of those little packs of wipes and clean the area yourself. I am not a germaphobe, and I've never met a germ that I was worried about. Maybe I should be. But Krista, you fly lately as much as I do. You've been flying a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing that as well, that the planes are not as clean as they were before? Yeah, I'm seeing stuff left in the backseat pockets. But I've been doing this wipe down thing for years. Oh, you years. do? You I was ahead of, ahead of COVID. Really? Yes. You take the... I've always brought wipes on. Yeah. Huh. And I wipe down the tray and the sidearms and, you know, and then I go into a hotel room and I wipe down the remote. They were cleaning those and putting them in baggies in the hotels, but I noticed that's not happening anymore either. Like we're going backwards to, you know, I appreciate cleanliness. So you're worried you're going to get some kind of crud from stuff? I don't know. It just grosses me out. So. Oh. See, I figure I'm building up extra immunity by being exposed to germs all the time. You probably are, but I just, I don't know. There's certain things with me. Okay. Well, let's have some questions. Okay. This is from Gerald in California. We are looking to start international travel again, specifically to Japan, where they will be easing travel restrictions. Given that the chance of getting mildly to critically ill is still a very real possibility, what are your recommendations for getting international coverage health insurance? This is a great question, Gerald. And let me tell you that Japan is fully reopening. They did this thing for a while where you had to be part of some kind of hermetically sealed tour group and they limited how many people and then they expanded the limit. Now they're going back to people just being able to come in Japan is a phenomenally fantastic 
tourist destination. Historically, it was a business travel destination. Tourists didn't think of it. It was great. And the cost of a trip to Japan is a lot cheaper than it used to be once you get there. At one time, Tokyo was the most expensive city in the world to travel to. Not anymore. Now to your question, it's very easy to buy an international travel health insurance policy. And they cover a lot of the stuff that you may be worried about, you know, you fall, you break your arm, you get an illness while you're there, that kind of stuff. The most inexpensive policies you buy typically for a time period, a week-long trip, two-week trip, whatever, premium goes up the longer you travel, but not in concert. So uh, the longer you stay, it doesn't. the premium doesn't go up in equal dollars. What the policies cover, though, do vary. An inexpensive policy will pay for some basic medical care outside the United States. A more expensive one, a more involved one, will pay for medevac if you need it. Uh, It may even pay, an extreme one may pay for you to be on a a medical aircraft to go to a uh, medical facility, maybe even in the United States, whatever. Those get really expensive. If you go to insuremytrip.com or other similar uh, trip insurance kind of sellers, you can specifically select a search for travel medical insurance policies. The simplest, cheapest, maybe five or 10 bucks. Uh, They're not going to do a whole lot for you. You're going to typically pay 50, 75, 100 bucks, somewhere in that range for a travel medical insurance policy that has some real meat to it. And have fun in Japan. Ohio gazimus. Bill in Georgia says, I know Clark loves Aldi and he buys golf balls for a quarter apiece. Where do you get those? I saw a YouTube video where a guy bought a set of golf clubs from Aldi for $100 and something. He loved the irons. So I haven't seen golf clubs recently at Aldi, but the golf balls I bought at Walmart before. And they come in like uh, like this unadorned mesh package. And it just says, uh, use golf balls on it or something. They're really, really inexpensive. They're beat up, but they sure are cheap. Got to go back to the guy who wrote in that his kids had the golf ball business where they were selling the used golf yeah, balls. How about those kids? Oh, golf clubs, a cheap place to buy a, like a starter set of golf clubs is eBay. Laureen in Pennsylvania says, I bought a lemon Megtag washer. Three oh, days boy. after the warranty expired, the mechanism that holds the lid to the body cracked the lid. I pestered uh, them and they gave us a new lid, but we had to pay for installation. Now the same thing has happened again, but on a different side. Do I have any recourse? No more lonely Maytag repairman. The washer's about four years old. So Laureen, I, I think I'd just suck it up, pay this one more repair. And if you ended up with a real lemon of a washer, if it croaks, next time it croaks, I think then you just got to call it a loss and you replace the washer. I'm really sorry this has happened. Um, My experience with washers is they're so, uh, sometimes they just go on and on and on. Doesn't seem to matter what brand. And other times, They just don't work right, and they have problems with them. And right now, I can say that we've been very lucky with our washer and dryer, and I hope our luck remains. I'm sorry that yours has been such a dud, but 
now that you're four years out, trying to get the manufacturer to pay for repairs is very likely, unlikely. The only possibility you have is if you go online and you find this particular problem with the mechanism that holds the lid is a common complaint from people, that would be a basis outside of warranty for you to press Maytag to do more for you if it is a common and known problem in either the designer manufacturer or the model you have. And I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. If you found something helpful in today's podcast, hope you'll take the time to leave a review. If you disagree with anything, you feel like I let you down, please, it helps me so much if you take the time to go to clark.com slash Clark Stinks and have a great day.